0: Frozen foraging for functional fungus, how mushrooms can improve our brain by first improving our gut, plus the shroom house getting a shutdown, spore yourself a large cup of mushroom coffee because all that more is coming up on this episode of The Mushroom Show. Welcome back to The Mushroom Show. This is episode three. I gotta say, again, I was super excited about the response to the last mushroom show. I'm super excited about this concept and I can't wait to show you all the cool stuff that's gonna be coming up on the show in the next weeks and months. I also really appreciate your feedback and all the comments, lots of great comments on the the previous video, uh, like this one here from Alex Reinhardt 28 who says, it's not B plus you goobers, it's B positive. This was in reference to me calling the B-positive strain of psilocybe cubensis B+, and I'll just be honest, I've only ever seen it written. I've never actually heard anybody say it before, so uh, golden teacher, penis envy, tidal waves, all those things, super obvious, right? But uh, B+, being pronounced as B-positive, Duh, so yeah, thanks again, uh, Alex Reinhardt, 28 for pointing that out. Final note before we get started though, it would mean the world to me if you let me know what you think of the show in the comments. And of course, if you like mushrooms, if you like the mushroom show, go ahead and like this video, share it. And if you wanna see more of it, be sure to hit that subscribe button and that notification bell so you'll be notified every time a new episode drops. Onto our first story. Now, some people will call this black gold. Some people will call it the king of functional mushrooms. Some people might just walk by this in the forest without giving it a second thought. But this is chaga, scientific name is Inonotus obliquus, and it is one of the most popular functional mushrooms in the world. You'll see it in coffee, seen it used as a coffee replacement. You'll see it in all sorts of functional food products and tinctures and capsules. It's a really popular mushroom for all sorts of benefits. And one of the most popular things to do with this is to make a chaga tea, and it is surprisingly tasty. It's even been used as a coffee replacement, but you know it has no caffeine, It definitely doesn't taste like coffee, although it does taste pretty darn good and it is warm and it kind of looks like coffee. So I guess I could kind of see it might make a nice replacement for coffee as just kind of a warm, nutritious beverage. The first thing to address with chaga, though, is that even though we call this a mushroom, it's not technically a mushroom. It's definitely not a gourmet mushroom, right? It's hard. It's kind of like charcoal. It's woody. You definitely can't just eat it. And the reason why it's woody is because it basically is wood in a way. It's a mixture actually of chaga mycelium, so Inonotus obliquus mycelium, plus birch wood. So this thing grows wild on birch trees. I recently got the opportunity to head out into the frozen woods with my good friend Eric Whitehead from Untamed Feast to go hunting for this elusive but amazing mushroom. Let's roll the clip. That's a good one. Whoa! It's December in central Alberta. The great outdoors is mostly a frozen wasteland, and yet we're going mushroom hunting. If that doesn't make a ton of sense, it's because we're not looking for those ephemeral summer mushrooms. We're looking for chaga. This is Eric Whitehead. He's the founder of a company called Untamed Feast, And if there's anyone that knows how to find chaga in this neck of the woods, it's
1: him. We're looking for old, slightly decadent, so on their, kind of on their way out, birch trees. So not young, healthy stands of birch, but we're looking at in older, starting to be at the end of their lifespan, uh, birch trees in secret, special places. Oh yeah. Good night. There's a piece of chaga. We'll leave that for the road hunters.
0: Even though you might be able to spot chaga from the road, there's no easy way around it. We eventually had to suit up and head out into the frozen woods. On this day, it was somewhere around minus 16 degrees Celsius. I was hopeful that we were about to find what we came for, not only because otherwise I wouldn't have a video to share, but because I was thrilled at the idea of simply warming up with a cup of chaga tea.
1: Here's a good example of what people think, they think they see chaga. See this aspen tree with the white bark and the black stuff on it? You know, 50 yards right there? Yeah. So, people think, oh, I've seen lots of chaga. Well, that's just aspen trees with some black stuff on it. That's not chaga. Aha, you say, I found chaga, it's a birch tree. I know it is birch bark and look, there it is. There's, nope, not chaga. And that's just, it's just a scar. It's just wood. That's not chaga. But look here on this dead one, you've got some nice tender little Fomis fomentarius horse hoof. It's got a little bit of medicinal quality. We'll put that in our pocket.
0: I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a text from a friend saying, hey, look, I found chaga. But most of the time it is something else, simply a tree burl or some other
1: rot. It's in Robert Rogers book, fungal pharmacy, super common uh, medicinal polypore typically on the knots of the uh, aspen trees. It's medicinal. You can you can take some off and add it to your tea. But with
0: a guy like Eric leading this expedition, it didn't take long to find one.
1: So there's some chaga there. But let's talk about one, sustainability harvest of chaga. Pretty much a non-issue. You're not going to comb the entire forest to the of the northern boreal and take it all because 99% of it's above your head. Even if I wanted that one, this little one would be pain in the ass to get. Number two, that's on a dead birch, that one stays. Although you're not going to just see chaga
0: everywhere, it's not necessarily that rare, especially because most of it is hard to get. Soon though, we found another one. This one was in reach, but a little too small and Eric thought we should just let it grow Chaga, unlike other ephemeral mushrooms, can grow over several years if left alone.
1: Best way. <laughs> so this is a little healthy tree that at some point in time, a branch came down, knocked the branch off, created a scar and an open wound and an opportunity for chaga. There's not enough here. And uh, there's no point in taking half of that. So that can just grow with the tree and eventually it'll be big. and. In 20 years, we'd come back and have a big nugget on there.
0: So that's a good example though, like of how chaga, like again, it's a parasite, right, that infects trees. So you're saying a branch would have come and knocked it down and that's where the chaga
1: got an infection because it's already in here, right? It's in here like, like a virus, like a whatever. <laughs> and there's an open wound, there's an opportunity. Or this is but a gateway, uh, a coexisting relationship allowing humanity to have the fungus. It's a gift. It has nothing to do with parasites. It depends which side of the fence you're on.
0: So you might be wondering like why go through all this effort? Why come out here in the middle of winter? It's cold. Why are we out here looking for chaga? Why don't you just grow it? Well the thing is you can grow chaga mycelium in a lab but the true benefits of chaga are there because of the relationship that it has with the birch tree. And in order for that to happen, it needs to be harvested from the wild. Betulina pubescence, that's the name of the birch tree. So you can think of betulin and betulinic acid as being only there because of chaga's relationship to birch. So even though you can just grow chaga mycelium in a lab, it won't have those compounds that are in there that are so important for the medicinal properties of this amazing mushroom. After about an hour of walking through the ice and snow, We finally found a nice little chunk of chaga, perfect for today's harvest.
1: You know, ideally, this growth would be a lot growth. My mouth is cold. (laughs) It would be out, out a lot further and you can just pry some out, which is what we're gonna do here. This whole tree, it's infected and dying from doing some destructive sampling in the past. I can tell you this chaga rot, infection, medicine all the way down to the roots and damn near to the top of the tree. In this little instance, in the middle of nowhere, I think I'll take a whole chunk out of here and leave that one or vice versa. Leave 50% is the rule of thumb if you plan on being in places where you want continued harvest and they're not like logging it. If this was a future cut block, which is the best way to go, I mean, you just take it all. A, the tree's dying, B, it'll get slashed and burn. if you take a look up in here you've got all that nice rich chaga and all the melanin content in it that makes it that color and then we've got ourselves more than enough for tea today I mean it's such a beautiful thing cork like light brown mass it's quite light although it's dense now when it dries it'll be really light it's not like wood and then you've got this charcoal-like burn on the outside, which has a lot of the medicine value. This is the best mushroom for making fire. Just so happens to look like it's been burnt. Once we had our harvest,
0: it was time to enjoy it beside a fire. But believe it or not, chaga isn't the only mushroom you can harvest in the winter. Philanus What's
1: that? ignarius. Nice. So this is the one you like Alaskan. First Nations are burning to ash and mixed with tobacco. But it's also a good medicinal.
0: They said we're looking for Maybe diamond willow.
1: Diamond willow fungus, yeah, there's some out here somewhere that I found three years ago or so and I left some, I think we'll find it. Another polypore medicinal mushroom that grows on the birch is the uh, Fomatopsis betulinum, also known as the razor strop fungus, it's an annual. You could actually, after you sharpen your knife, you could strop your knife like you would on a leather belt and remove the burr Very anti-parasitic is the one of the main qualities. Like, I don't have parasites, but we all kind of do, especially if you're just eating, you know, sushi and store-bought meat. Little bit of this in your crock pot with your chaga and stuff is, is how I roll.
0: Remember at the beginning when Eric was gathering some grass and drying it on the dashboard? Well, that's the required material for starting a fire with a chunk of chaga instead of a lighter. Now, I didn't wanna have this be a bushcrafting video explaining how to do this step-by-step, but it was pretty impressive to see someone start a fire with a mushroom and a stick.
1: I'm gonna move the coal to this piece. Okay, so we have it there. Save that for later. guys ready. Not that you're here for a fire making lesson.
0: In no time the fire was raging and we could finally enjoy the fruits of our labor.
1: bigger the chunk the longer the brewing time right? So that's enough for a nice cup of, well what, four cups, three cups. Chug a Depends how strong you like it.
0: Making a tea is a common way to get the benefits of all functional mushrooms, not just chaga. The hot water breaks down the tough cell walls of the mushroom and makes the beneficial compounds easy for your body to use. But
1: the benefit of chaga is that it's also absolutely delicious. Maybe chaga is like a lot of things where it's like certain mushrooms off certain trees, they taste better. Maybe each piece of chaga is different because this this is a very weak brew, but this is quite floral. This is almost like a... You're gonna see in a second. It's like a rose hip or a hawthorn berry. It's fruity, this one.
0: Let's see what we got here. Ooh, it does smell, it smells smoky and fruity at the same time. Let's give it a try. Oh, wow, that is warm, nice, fruity, floral, and good for you. Chaga tea. It's actually some of the best chaga tea I've ever had. After a long but satisfying day of trudging through the snow and harvesting the medicine of the forest, Eric had one last mushroom to share. It's something that I had never seen before in the wild. It's called diamond willow fungus, and it was pretty amazing to see and to smell.
1: Smell that oh wow well it's used as a smudge by first nations you dry it out and it's a very spiritual mushroom that's very rare just smells super nice Ooh, baby but do you see what i see more diamond willow and she's a beaut try to Ooh. describe what it smells like the best you've realized well it's like it's kind of like star anise or like nutmeggy Cinnamonine. <laughs>
0: so we what we found
1: some chaga yeah
0: we had some chaga tea yeah we found some diamond willow yeah we had some jalapeno muffins in a fire any parting words telling people about chaga
1: get out there and harvest your medicine couldn't agree more thanks for watching
0: so i hope you enjoyed that my fingers are still kind of warming up eric was probably fine i don't know if you could tell from that video or not but he's definitely a bit of an outdoorsman And uh, if you wanna see a full video of how we actually started the fire with that little piece of chaga, we will post an entire video just showing that. I just didn't wanna turn this segment into a bushcrafting section, so that should be on our channel soon if it's not already. And also, if you wanna learn more about Eric, and what he's doing with Untamed Feast, the link is in the description to his website. And also, we did a full interview with him on the mushroom show, so you can learn a lot more about his wild mushroom hunting adventures. Lots of really cool stuff in that episode, so go ahead and check that out if you wanna learn more. One more note on that video, I just wanted to mention that this diamond willow, uh, the diamond willow fungus that we found, is absolutely amazing. I wish I had like smell a vision or something so you could smell what this thing smells like. Uh, it's really hard to describe, but it's unique it's powerful and it's very very cool so i don't know enough about this mushroom definitely got to learn a little bit more and uh, maybe we'll uh, dive a little bit deeper and i'll do a segment on this diamond willow fungus on uh, one episode of the mushroom show but Man, it just, it's really amazing. It really is something unique and special. This episode of The Mushroom Show is brought to you by Fresh Cat Mushrooms. If you're looking for organic mushroom extracts that can really make a difference in your life without having to go out into the woods and harvest them yourself, you should definitely check out our range of mushrooms. No matter what health goal you have for the new year, there is very likely a mushroom to help you get there. And it's not just chaga, we also have other powerful functional mushrooms like lion's mane, like turkey tail, and of course, the most popular, the ultimate mushroom complex. Our mushrooms are always organic, always extracted, and always tested and verified for high levels of active compounds, so you can experience the benefits of nature's most powerful superfood. Check it out on Amazon or at freshgap.com where you can use code show to get 10% off your first order. On to our next story. Now we've all probably heard of the gut-brain connection and this whole idea that our gut can actually act in a way as our second brain. And of course the food that we eat, the things that we put in our gut, can have a major impact on our gut health, which in turn can have a major impact on our overall health. Now, functional mushrooms, perhaps surprisingly, perhaps not, have actually been studied for the benefits that they might have on our gut. And this research is really interesting. Uh, This is the paper I was looking at to put this together. It's in the Journal of Functional Foods, and it talks about the role of dietary edible mushrooms in the modulation of gut Microbiota. So basically saying how certain dietary edible mushrooms can uh, change the microbiota or the bacteria in our gut, which can have some pretty profound health benefits. And the mushrooms that they studied in this particular paper were reishi, lion's mane, maitake, and shiitake. Those are all super popular uh, functional mushrooms. Some of those are also popular gourmet mushrooms. And the way that this can happen is actually two ways, right? First of all, number one, mushrooms contain polysaccharides that can act as prebiotics. So you might've heard about probiotics, right? So probiotics are certain beneficial bacteria that you can consume and then consuming that bacteria changes the ratio of certain bacteria in your gut, which can have all sorts of health implications. But prebiotics are substances that uh, make those changes. So prebiotics are something that you could eat and it causes a change in the bacteria of your gut. Now, number two, compounds in mushrooms can actually act mechanically to help with the gut lining. So mushroom polysaccharides, again, these are the fiber and the water soluble compounds from the mushroom fruiting body can actually help to mechanically seal certain things in the gut and the gut lining And uh, you might have heard of like leaky gut before, and I'm not an expert on this, but you can kind of imagine, right, if you have some sort of permeable barrier in your gut and mushroom polysaccharides and mushroom fibers can kind of fill that gut lining and help to mechanically seal it, well, that can obviously help and have all sorts of uh, functional benefits and help deal with leaky gut. Now, again, four different mushrooms were studied for this and that was reishi, maitake, lion's mane, and shiitake. Now the thing you gotta remember when going through any of these mushroom studies really is to know that number one, uh, there's all sorts of different parts of the mushroom that can be used, and then also uh, the way that mushroom is extracted or processed can also have a massive impact on the final product. So it's kind of hard to do these studies or, or paint any broad strokes because you don't know what part of the mushroom was used. You don't know what kind of extraction method was used. For example, if you're growing mycelium on grain, that's gonna be a lot different than something that is like a fully extracted fruiting body. But. The bottom line here is that functional mushrooms can definitely have an effect on our health. And this study is saying specifically functional mushrooms can have an impact on our gut health. So the first mushroom I wanted to talk about and the first mushroom they talk about in this study is reishi. Now reishi is also known as the mushroom of immortality. The scientific name is Ganodermalucidum. Uh, some people have called it the mushroom of deathlessness. Uh, right away we're going to find out some people call it the mushroom of a hundred diseases which means it's just this thing that's been uh, basically prescribed for so many different things here is uh, just one chart that they had in this paper and you can see all of these different compounds in reishi and the different effects that it might have so glp that stands for lucidum polysaccharides these are hot water extracted compounds from the fruiting body they have antioxidant properties immunomodulation properties anti-inflammatory properties And then down here, these are the triterpenes. Now triterpenes, reishi's got lots of them. There's hundreds of them inside the reishi fruiting body. And these are alcohol soluble. So you're not gonna find them in a hot water extract. You're gonna find them in alcohol extracts of the fruiting body. But these are the ganoderic acids, which have all sorts of other potential benefits. One of these here is like inhibiting the release of histamine. you think, well, yeah, that's probably why people use reishi mushroom to help with allergies. So um, the bottom line here from this graphic is a mushroom is more than just a mushroom. It's also all the compounds inside of it and all the things that it can possibly do. But specifically for gut health, in this study, it talks about two things. First of all, it talks about the polysaccharides. So again, those are the water soluble compounds in reishi mushroom and those polysaccharides being able to change the composition of the bacteria in the gut. Specifically for reishi, Uh, It talks about reversing this thing called the bacterioides firmicutes ratio. And I probably am not pronouncing that right. But the thing that's important there is this ratio of bacteria has been associated with things in mice anyways, associated with things like pancreatitis and a high fat diet. So certain poor health states uh, in the gut have been reversed through using the polysaccharides in reishi mushroom. So the same thing with the triterpenes actually. So this study, See if I can find it here, the effect of G. lucidum triterpenes on gut microbiota. The study shows that the alcohol extracts of reishi fruiting body decrease the abundance of bacteria associated with a high fat diet. So again, the way I interpret this is reishi triterpenes and reishi polysaccharides being able to bring our gut bacteria back into balance, which is super important for overall health. So, in reishi, both the polysaccharides and the triterpenes have potential gut health benefits, both acting mechanically, but also acting by as a prebiotic, right? Changing those bacterial ratios. Another popular mushroom, lion's mane, and you can see right here, Heresium erinaceus was included in this study. And lion's mane is typically thought of as kind of the brain boosting mushroom. It's kind of thought of as a nootropic. And a lot of people wouldn't really consider it as something that might help with the gut. But that's exactly what was shown in this study was that both the polysaccharides and not triterpenes, because there's not triterpenes in in lion's mane, but the polysaccharides and these fungal immunomodulatory proteins have been studied for the way that they can change the different ratios of our gut microbiota. And I do have a bit of a theory on this. Uh, Again, I haven't looked into the research on it. I don't know if there's research that has been done, but... Maybe just maybe something to think about that the the benefits that lion's mane is having on our brain maybe part of that is the benefit that it's having on our gut and going back to that whole gut brain connection because you really can't separate those two if you you know in order to have a healthy brain you need to have a healthy gut and kind of vice versa so the fact that lion's mane can have benefits on the gut and the fact that people use lion's mane as a brain boosting mushroom or as a nootropic. Uh, I think there's something interesting there that I definitely kind of want to look into. So what is the headline here? Well, without repeating myself too many times, uh, basically the headline is that functional mushrooms contain compounds such as polysaccharides, triterpenes, fungal immunomodulatory proteins that can change the composition of our gut bacteria, and in turn, could have potentially massive impacts on our overall health. And of course, this has been shown in the research, but I've also heard from tons of people that have had benefits to their gut from using functional mushrooms. So there's definitely something to it. Overall, it's a fascinating topic, not just functional mushrooms and what they're doing to our guts, but the gut-brain connection in general. And actually, I was just on a panel in Miami talking uh, about this very topic, functional mushrooms and the gut-brain axis. And also on that panel was Dr. Jonathan Fields. He is a doctor of functional medicine. So we wanted to bring him onto the mushroom show and get a deeper understanding about what's going on with mushrooms and our guts. Let's roll the interview.
2: My name is Dr. Jonathan M. Fields. I am an acupuncturist and functional medicine doctor and a primary care provider in the state of Florida.
0: Awesome. And uh, I got the chance to speak with you on a panel in Miami at the Microdose Conference about uh, functional mushrooms and the gut brain axis, which is really cool. You talked about a lot of cool different stuff while we were down there, but I did want to dig in a little bit on that topic. So maybe you could just briefly explain to us like what the gut brain axis even is.
2: Sure. So there's it's a big area of growing research in the last five to 10 years. So within the Eastern medicine traditions, we've known about this for a couple thousand plus years. But functional medicine has really shifted this way in the last few years. Um, I guess one of the easiest ways to describe it is, I'll give you one example, is serotonin, right? Everybody thinks of serotonin is one of these brain hormones and that's affecting our mental health. Most Most people don't know that about 90% or more of the serotonin is actually produced in your small intestine, right? Not in the brain. So it's very difficult to have good mental health if your gut health is off, right? If you have a poor diet or if you have Um, IBS or maybe some other gut issues, Crohn's, colitis, any sort of acid reflux that may be affecting your mental health. So that's just a brief overview. And I guess a follow up to that
0: question and you kind of already answered it, but maybe just, we can can do it again. Like why is Mm -hmm. gut health so important overall?
2: It's another uh, fascinating field, and as we've been doing more research on this the last few years, we're seeing now that gut health is actually important for every single aspect of your health. It is not separate from your mental health. It is not separate from your heart health. It is not separate from your immune system. A lot of your immune system is coming from gut health as well, so it is probably, I could usually say, the most important type of health.
0: You've heard this idea that like the gut can act as your second brain. Do you think there's a
2: lot of validity to that? so yes that's part of this whole system uh they call it the enteric nervous system right it's like another nervous system there's uh they recently found out there's probably uh, just as many neurons and neural connections from your gut to your brain than anywhere else and that's part of the um, gut brain axis because it, it will affect your mood it will affect um, depression anxiety all this kind of stuff it comes from the gut right as well as the immune like we just talked about there you just it's very difficult to be mentally stable if your gut health is is out of whack right and there's many different reasons why it might be out of whack
0: now let's bring it back to mushrooms for a second here how is it that mushrooms or specifically functional mushrooms are interacting with the gut
2: it's a great question and there's still a lot of research being done there's a lot of it that we still don't know my background as an herbalist from the Eastern medicine traditions. We've been this stuff has been written about for 2,000 plus years, so and we talked a little bit about this on the panel that we were on together. There's there's numerous reasons. So one of the reasons that might be causing mental health issues, specifically from the Eastern medicine traditional route, could be an overabundance of phlegm or edema in the body or uh, fluids building up in places where they don't belong, right? Because that can literally cloud your sinuses cloud your judgment make you feel foggy headed and we also look at it like it's blocking the clear yang chi or the energy from flowing from the body to the brain so one of the ways that the mushrooms help besides the neural connections and other things that we know with lion's mane is actually uh, most of the mushrooms are diuretics so they help drain extra edema from the body and they also help dry up phlegm and mucus in the body. So that's just one particular method. Um, I think there's there's some research on the, on the lion's man and some of these other mushrooms, um, healing ulcers. So that's another method. There, there's many different patho mechanisms and it's very different from the Eastern tradition because we're dealing more with the energy and the flavor of the herbs and your body type and your constitution, which is very different from how we work in the Western herbalist sense or how we're working with the functional medicines where it's basically like you have this symptom, you get this mushroom, or you have this symptom, you get this vitamin or this drug. We will look at it completely differently. We're looking at it like, do you have a deficiency in your digestive system? Are we trying to tonify your digestive system or do you have an excess in your digestive system? Is it hyper or hypo? Do you have an overabundance of phlegm and mucus? Do you have an overabundance of food retention? Are you not breaking down the food, right? Do you have not enough stomach acid or too much stomach acid? And then we look at, at the flavors and the tastes and, and the herbs that can kind of work together synergistically. So, mushrooms are um, a big part of the Asian diet, always have been, right? It's just part of the things that they cook with, many different types of mushrooms, their delicacies, Uh, I think we're just starting to catch on to that here in the West.
0: One thing I wanted to ask you quick, and this could be totally conjecture, but it's something I've been thinking Mm -hmm. a lot. Do you think it's possible that some of the brain health benefits that people experience through something like lion's mane (laughs) are actually happening in the gut and not necessarily directly a mechanism with the brain?
2: It's definitely possible. Uh, You know, the mechanisms and actions, uh, uh, these things are, are largely unknown. Um, a lot of times, I personally, from from my experience and from the Eastern tradition, we don't need to know. We just need to know that it works. You know, the scientific method is literally you repeat the experiment over and over and over. And if you get the same results, it works. That is the definition of scientific method. So for these days to be like, oh, this isn't scientific or we don't have the research to prove it, uh, it d- doesn't really make sense because – I mean, yes, we might not have um, double-blind, randomized, controlled clinical trials in every single mechanism of action. We might not have been able to isolate every single molecule, but we have 2,000 years worth of research and data, and we have all these new clinical uh, trials that work. So uh, definitely, it, it, and you know what? They're not mutually exclusive. So I, I don't think you can have one or the other. You're not going to have the, you know, the mental health or clarity of mind or... Uh, you know, less brain fog, better memory, if your gut health is, is out of whack. Even if, even if you look at Alzheimer's now, which we know lion's mane and some of these other mushrooms has been shown to be effective and to some extent more effective than some of the medications that are out there, right? They're calling Alzheimer's now type three diabetes, because even though they, the, some of the patients might not have diabetes, they found similar areas uh, within the brain and in the gut and issues with um, insulin production um, as people who have diabetes. So that's, that's just another interesting theory or method where it kind of ties together.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's so much that we don't know. But what we do Mm -hmm. know is, you know, we can lean on the history of use. uh, And these things really have stood the test of time. That being said, like, in your, in your practice, or what you've seen, what mushrooms, which species of mushrooms in particular have shown to be the most beneficial you think for gut health?
2: So for gut health specifically, uh, one of the ones that we don't use, and was in my presentation, we don't use so much on the functional mushroom side, but from the Eastern medicine side, it is probably the number one is poria. Now, the reason we're probably not using a lot of it in the functional side is, is because there are some contraindications, right? Poria is in, it's one of the most widely used um, herbs in the Eastern medicine tradition as well, but it is specifically, for drying and draining too much edema. So you might have gut health issues, but if you're the type of person who your stomach or your body type uh, is more on the dry side, let's say you have dry hair, dry eyes, dry skin, dry mouth, maybe you have a little bit of anemia, so you're a little bit of a blood deficiency, so you're just not getting the body fluids that your body needs to nourish, and you start taking these drying type of mushrooms that's actually contraindicated. You might do more harm than good but for anybody who's on the the wet side or the excess side like that poria is fantastic that is the most popular one that we use Uh, and it usually will be used synergistically we usually uh, pair it with uh, other herbs very rarely from the eastern tradition do we use one single herb like we do reishi is one of those exceptions reishi is one of those exceptions where you actually can use it in therapeutic dosages on its own Um, and that uh, reishi uh, is one of the nicknames we have for it in the eastern tradition is the herb of 100 diseases because there are so many health benefits to it so that's one of the things that you can specifically use for gut health also can help with ulcers um, also helps um, draining phlegm and mucus out of the body but at the same time it tonifies so it won't over dry you out
0: now you're not just mixing up herbs uh, you're also mixing up oil paints and acrylics. You are uh, an artist and I got the chance to see some of your art uh, down when I was in Miami. So can you talk a little bit about your art? I had one of uh, your paintings here, but a uh, tea clean my office and I can't find it right this second, but I'd love to talk about your art a little bit and maybe show some examples.
2: Yeah, I'd uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So I've been painting and drawing probably since I could hold a crayon. And it's kind of one of these things that I, I've done professionally in the past. And so I was very fortunate to be one of the speakers at Wonderland. And then when I found out they had an art component, I was like, please me. <laughs> it's personally fulfilling. It's I think it's just one of the best uh, methods of self-expression that you could possibly have is to start with something that is completely blank, like a white canvas and just make something out of nothing right and you're doing the same thing with you know extractions and formulations and 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 even the show to to some extent so i I think you guys can understand that as, as a creator
0: that's awesome well dr jonathan fields thank you so much for your time today and thanks for joining us here on the mushroom show
2: I really appreciate you guys. I'm looking forward to seeing the product. I love what you're doing and I'm happy to support it and share all it. I hope you enjoyed
0: that interview. Now, one of the things that Jonathan mentioned, which I don't actually know a lot about, but is super interesting to think about is poria. Now, poria is a super popular functional mushroom, but you know we don't sell it at fresh cap i don't know too much about it but it does seem like it's pretty fascinating and could have some pretty interesting benefits so poria is something that i might look into for a potential future segment of the mushroom show again if you want to dive deeper into any of this stuff make sure you check out the links in the description and you can go read all about it moving on now here's something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of and it will be super interesting to see how it all unfolds you might remember uh, a little while ago, we did a video on the Vancouver mushroom dispensaries. Now these are stores that are in Vancouver, British Columbia that are openly selling psilocybe cupensis mushrooms. And they're not worried about being shut down. They've been open for two years and they haven't been shut down because the city of Vancouver actually voted to purposefully not shut them down. They've kind of just allowed them to operate even though you know psilocybin containing mushrooms are still illegal in Canada. But this is now starting to show up in other jurisdictions. There's been a rash of news stories about this recently and generally it kind of goes like this. There is a store that opens up, that's selling, you know, psilocybin containing mushrooms against a bunch of media attention. A bunch of people will go to that store and then soon after the store will get raided, it will get shut down and sometimes it will open up again the next day and sometimes it will be kind of shut down forever. And I know some people say in the comments of these videos and probably even on this video and I know for sure in the video that we did on the Vancouver uh, dispensaries, people are saying to stop exposing them, but keep in mind that these stores could operate in the shadows and some of the online dispensaries definitely do, but the ones that open up Main Street Vancouver or downtown Portland, they want the exposure, right? They're doing it kind of on purpose as an act of civil disobedience. And it's definitely getting a lot of attention. The first news story that kind of came up recently was this one in Portland called The Shroom House, Uh, There's a shroom house in Vancouver, but this is in reference to the Portland one. And I kind of saw this in real time, right? The store opened up and they did the nightly news broadcast about it. And, you know, saying, you know, I can't believe people are selling mushrooms openly. And then there was huge lineups for the store. And soon after the store kind of got raided and shut down. Now I know what you might be thinking, isn't psilocybin legal in Oregon? And you're probably thinking of measure 109. This was passed about two years ago now, and it was passed as a way to regulate psilocybin in the state of Oregon. But one thing it doesn't allow for is the opening of dispensaries. I'll be honest, before looking into the story about the shroom house getting shut down, I wasn't all that familiar with the finer details of Oregon's measure 109. But the more I looked into it, the more I realize that probably not everybody's gonna be happy with how this is all unfolding. Here's the TLDR of the model. Basically, psilocybin mushrooms are going to be regulated. Adults are going to have access to it, but, and this is a big but, only under very specific circumstances. There will be service centers, which are places that people will need to go to, not only to access the psilocybin, but also to consume the psilocybin and remain there for the duration of the experience. So even for like a microdose, which is defined by this law, I guess as five milligrams or about half of a gram of dried psilocybe they will have to be physically present at the service center for an hour or more, which in my opinion is a pretty weird way to do it. And it brings up some pretty obvious issues. There will also be facilitators at these service centers, which are defined as people who have completed a background check, uh, but I've also completed an approved training program to become a facilitator. So these are people, I guess, that have a license to uh, give out the psilocybin and be present while people are having the experience. There will also be approved manufacturers, or basically, for lack of a better word, growers or mushroom farmers who will be able to grow a limited amount of psilocybe cupensis. I think it's. Uh, 20 kilograms dried per manufacturer. So they are setting limits on the amount of Psilocybe cubensis or the amount of mushrooms that manufacturers can grow. So, okay, people definitely have issues with how this is all going to be rolling out. But this is one thing that really stood out to me right away and it's the cost, right? These licenses definitely aren't cheap. So from what I was reading, it costs, uh, it'll be $10,000 for a service center license. $10,000 for a manufacturer license, and $2,000 just for a facilitator license. And again, as far as I can tell, these licenses need to be renewed every single year. So facilitators, $2,000. Manufacturers, $10,000. And these service centers, $10,000 for a license that renews every year. And it doesn't take very long to realize that this is going to be pretty expensive, right? I mean, service centers, that will have to employ multiple facilitators and it's not like they're looking after 30 people or something like that. There's probably a limited number of people that these facilitators can observe or watch over while they have to be at this place uh, doing the psilocybin. So those facilitators are gonna have to be paid. So when you think about it, you know, a four-hour experience at a service center, I mean, you can easily see how this might be 1000 2000 even 3000 or more dollars for people to access and use psilocybin in the state of Oregon. And I don't really see a world where that makes a ton of sense. Again, I'm definitely not a legal expert, and I don't know, like, this law inside and out, but just looking into it and kind of, like, wanted to open up the conversation because it's kind of goofy to me, right? You have these stores that are selling mushrooms for people to take home, uh, and yeah, it's against the law, so those stores get raided and they get shut down, but in a couple of weeks here, I guess, depending on when we're watching this, I think in early January, um, these regulations are gonna open up. So in a few weeks, there's gonna be these, these treatment centers where people have to go to a strange place with strangers in order to legally access psilocybin. And of course, I'm not saying that like I don't think these retreats should be allowed or people shouldn't be allowed to go to retreats, but to have that be the only way seems a little bit ham-fisted, but it's not just the Shroom House that's getting shut down. There was also recent raids on uh, one in Canada called Shroomies. They have two locations, one in Ottawa, I believe, and one in Toronto, but they reopened pretty quickly. And I'm pretty sure as of this recording, they're open right now. There's also another one that opened up recently called the Mushroom Cabinet, and they were open for a full day, but on the second day, within a few hours of being open already, They got raided and they got shut down, but apparently they were able to reopen. And I did reach out to the mushroom cabinet for comment. And this is what they said. They said, we opened the mushroom cabinet on Main Street in Hamilton as part of the cause to push for legalization. We are fighting to bring legal psychedelic health reforms and reduce the stigma around mushrooms. Psilocybin mushroom stores are the next frontier in drug legalization while providing safe access. It's a charter issue. As an adult, you should be able to control what you put into your own body. We are not necessarily worried about our newly opened store being shut down. Reopening after any legal issue was always our goal. We are resilient. It will be the same as with cannabis stores prior to legalization. Psilocybin will be no different than THC. And in that way, I do kind of hope so because, and again, I'm sure a lot of people might disagree on this, but in Canada, the way cannabis legalization was rolled out, I think is pretty good. I mean, people have access to it. Um, People know what they're getting. It really does seem to work. Now, is that gonna be the same way that mushrooms roll out across uh, North America? It's really hard to say, because in a lot of ways, cannabis and mushrooms are similar, but in a lot of ways, they're pretty different, right? So I think there is gonna be some unique regulations around that, and I don't really know how it's all gonna go. And this was the kind of thing that Dana Larson was talking about. Again, you can go watch that video if you want about the uh, Vancouver mushroom dispensaries. And Dana says, basically, you know, with cannabis, they were raiding stores and the stores were getting shut down. And then the next day, the stores would just reopen. And eventually, the city just went, hey, look, this is costing us way too much money. And obviously, there's a demand for this. And that led eventually to a path for legalization. So who knows, maybe it will end up looking exactly the same for psilocybin. It sure seems that way. But uh, who knows, I think Right now, we're kind of just going through this period of turbulence, kind of like, you know, a plane that's taking off. It's turbulent at first, but, you know, eventually it gets figured out. And I really think that's what's happening now. But the bottom line is nobody can predict the future. You can only go and create the future. So in a a small way, that's what we're trying to do here at The Mushroom Show is just kind of tell the stories of mushrooms Everything from functional mushrooms to of course psilocybin mushrooms because they are taking up a lot of time and space. A lot of people are talking about them and it's gonna be a super interesting story to follow over the next couple of years as we get this all figured out. On that note, thank you so much for watching the mushroom show. I am super hyped on the show, super hyped about all the cool things that are happening in mushrooms and all the cool things that we're going to be able to share with you are right here on the mushroom show. So if you like mushrooms, if you like the show, be sure to hit that like button. If you want to see it again, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Feel free to share it with people and also feel free to let me know your feedback in the comments. Um, again, also, if you want to connect outside of the show, I'm on Twitter at FreshCapTony. Tony. Spend a lot of time there kind of interacting with the mushroom community doing research for the show and all that kind of stuff. So if you're on Twitter, hit me up at Freshcap Tony. I would love to see you there. So thanks so much for watching and we'll see you in the next episode.